Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guests today are the two hosts of Your Friendly Neighborhood Gamers, Andrew Kimball and Dylan Wren. Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. If you recognize these two voices here, it's because they were guests on the Bloodborne Bosses tier list episode from before, which was a really fun episode. Three hours of just straight up Bloodborne, <laughs> Bloodborne nerd talk about the bosses. That was a really fun episode. So if you enjoy FromSoft, you're here listening to this episode that is partly connected to Elden Ring. If you want to hear us talk about the bosses in Bloodborne, go check that episode out. And Elden Ring Month is continuing today with our discussion about kind of half Elden Ring's open world and how From Software kind of succeeded. I think we probably all agree they succeeded with their open world, but also talking mm-hmm. about open world games in general, because this conversation comes up every time there is a kind of special open world game. And I think Elden Ring is that game. So it's time to talk open worlds and have a little fun uh, with this topic on the show. But before we get into that, like I said, Andrew and Dylan are the co-hosts of Your Friendly Neighborhood Gamers. So I want to give you guys a chance to um, explain what you guys do. Uh, I listen to the podcast often. So um, yeah, tell everybody what you do. Well, uh, we like you said, we have a podcast. Um, it is now a weekly show, started bi-weekly, but we have shifted to weekly episodes where we... Our goal is to come at the topic of video games and gaming from the perspective of your average gamer. That's kind of the whole idea behind everything we do. And so we have a podcast where we like to interview cool people. Dave has been on there. He's been one of our our interviews. Um, and then we talk about games that we like, games we enjoy, whether they're like in the zeitgeist or not. We dedicated a lot of time to Elden Ring just because it was something we were interested in. But we've also done episodes on games that aren't necessarily like the hot new thing currently. Uh, Then we have a YouTube channel where we do kind of smaller reviews or uh, Twitch recaps or, you know, other fun things over there. Our fantasy critic draft is up over there. Uh, Dave has also been on our YouTube channel talking about Mm -hmm. Elden Ring. That was a hell of a time. And then uh, we stream at least once a week. Um, We're starting to, to, grow that a little bit more, maybe do a few smaller streams here and there, but definitely every Friday night, uh, seven thirty central time, we try to get on there and it's a good opportunity to just hang out with our community and be able to interact with people in the moment and talk about maybe some things that don't fit into either our YouTube or our podcasting format. Dylan, is there anything else that you want to throw in there? Sounds like you covered it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, um, I don't, tend to uh like i don't know i don't tend to watch a whole lot of youtube videos uh these days but i do listen to the podcast uh when it comes out it's a podcast that i recommend and not only because uh, i've been on it i really enjoy the the interview series where you guys talk to and i like how it's not just podcasters on the interview series you are yeah. talking to video game creators uh, of all kinds um and so i enjoy that and then of course um, hearing you guys talk about games and you're right. Like, it's not always just like the new hotness, like we're recording this 
well before it's going to be released to the public, but one of the most recent episodes was about uh, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War, which are two games that when that popped up on my feed, I was like, oh, right, yeah, they they did make those (laughs) games. It's been a long time since I heard anyone (laughs) talk about those, so that's cool. It's good stuff. Highly recommended for anyone out there uh, who, again, wants to get that kind of average player's perspective on um, video games and hear about different creators that are out there doing cool stuff. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Today, uh, like we said, we're going to be talking about Elden Ring and um, kind of, again, half Elden Ring's open world. But before we do that, we're going to talk about open world games in general. Um, The spoiler policy for this episode, since this is a little bit outside of the regular Tales from the Backlog format, is we are going to kind of avoid Spoil. I don't feel like there's any reason to get into big spoilers for Elden Ring in yeah. this episode. Mm-hmm. So I think any point that I have um, about Elden Ring's open world specifically is still relevant in its opening area, which is uh, Limgrave mm-hmm. and, you know, that first 15 to 20 hours that you're playing. That's the opening area of Elden Ring is about 15 to 20 hours. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna keep our spoilers to like that area. I don't. I don't feel like there's any reason to go beyond that. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's get started and get kind of our kind of like building who we are as you know Elden Ring players and open world uh, players. And we covered our history with From Software back in that Bloodborne bosses episode. All three of us are huge From Software fans. Um, you can go back and listen to that episode for our full history with them as a developer. But I do want to get your guys's take on like, are you somebody who's excited by open world games? Do you play a lot of them? Have you fallen out of being super excited about open world games? So I'll turn that over to you guys. Dylan, go ahead. Sure. <laughs> um, so I I like open world games i guess i'll start there i have played a good many of them um i think the the most interesting part of your question is has have you fallen out of playing open world games um uh, at least to me um and and so with that i definitely think i pick and choose my open world games a little bit more uh stringently now um i think when i was younger you know back in the the advent of open world games when i had more time (laughs) um Mm -hmm. you know it was like easy to jump into any big open world game and explore around and whatever you know back when they were starting to like really burst onto the scene there uh in you know the late 2000s but since then with less time i think I choose them a little bit more wisely just because it's I I want something that's that's going to reward me for my exploration and not just reward me with like checking things off of a, you know, a a map or a box or something like that. But something that's going to like give me the like, oh, I don't know what's over here. I'm excited to like explore around here. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's something you don't see as much in more recent, I guess, open world games uh, the past five or 10 years. So um, did that hit all oh, the FromSoft stuff? Uh, I 
uh, I think if you haven't listened to our, our previous episode we did with Dave, uh, where we talked about Bloodborne bosses, uh, yeah, we've played I've played pretty much all of the the FromSoft uh, recent games minus um, Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and that's just a lack of a PS5 that's holding me back there. <laughs> so, yep. Um, but play them, love them. They're some of my favorite games. Cool. So, Andrew, how about you, man? For me, I've always been a fan of open world games. Uh, I think that initially the the like kind of draw to open world gaming was that was the kind of benchmark for the new technology or the new consoles. Like, how big is this world? Where can you go? Oh, you can go anywhere. Like your Grand Theft Autos, uh, your Assassin's Creeds. You know, back in the day when. It was like, oh, I can just like kind of run from one end of this world to the other. There's no loading screens. I can go anywhere. I can do anything I want to do. And that was really exciting and really cool. But I am somebody that even if it's not the best game, if it's good enough, I'm a sucker for one of those checklists that Dylan was talking about where I can just go down that quest log and it's like, I can knock out these three quests in this area and then go, you know, return back to the quest giver and get all that XP and those items. And that loop is just something that's always kind of been something that I've enjoyed. You know, it's, it's not complicated, but it's kind of like a comfort food sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I will say that as time has gone on and open worlds have just been imitating each other more and more and more and ubisoft has kind of like dominated the industry with their like super massive bloated checklist open world games that i like for the most part and i will play a lot of them i do get excited when there's an open world game that comes out that does something different like elden ring or like breath of the wild or has Mm -hmm. just a really cool mechanic or gimmick or something in it that makes it that just that little bit different or that little bit more fun to play i was definitely feeling the fatigue uh going through like assassin's creed valhalla for example Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and you brought up the two games that i think we're gonna see often uh both like with the games we talk about but also the responses that people wrote in with breath of the wild and Elden Ring, of course. Yeah. And Ubisoft is going to be a a talking point, I feel like, too, because like you said, their open world design philosophy has basically become the standard for open worlds, I feel like now. So I just I want to get out ahead of like people kind of eye rolling here. And I I just want to say like Elden Ring We're going to praise it a lot. We're going to probably praise Breath of the Wild, too. Those games didn't invent open worlds. They didn't invent good open worlds. Uh, They're not the first games to, like, present uh, a world without all of these, you know, um, question marks on the map and towers to climb up. Well, Breath of the Wild Mm -hmm. did have towers to climb up and stuff like that. (laughs) So, like, those games didn't invent the good qualities that we're going to talk about. And uh, I do enjoy a Ubisoft open world from time to time. I just think I get burned out on them in a way yeah. that I didn't when I was younger. And mm. an open world game that I really like, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, is a open the map, look at all the question marks, go clear off the map. It's exactly what Ghost of Tsushima is too. But there are other things about that game that stand out that made me. Uh, enjoy it more than I enjoyed 
Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, for example. So yeah, I want to get out of, uh, ahead of that. And um, this is not going to be a podcast where we're like, man, Elden Ring invented all of these cool things. No, <laughs> they just they just did it really well, uh, we think, I think. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point because it's something that I, I thought of when the Breath of the Wild conversation was real hot was, you know, everyone talked about, well, Breath of the Wild did this thing where if you see it, you can go there. And the Assassin's Creed series had done that already when they mm-hmm. did their whole like origins and Odyssey kind of reboot. And mm-hmm. Skyrim obviously did that. Skyrim yeah, did it's that. It's been there for a while. Breath Oblivion of the Wild even. They did it in a way that was maybe better or more what's the word I'm looking for? Like it just it the the glider probably and the the climbing and then the like weather effects and all the like they added enough stuff to it. Mm-hmm. That kind of made it a step above all these games that we mentioned that had come before. But a lot of what happens in open world gaming is very iterative. And but people will people do tend to get hung up on that one that comes along that really just seems to get most everything right. Like your mm-hmm. Breath of the Wilds and your Elden Rings and stuff. And it seems like they can constantly just talk trash about your Ubisofts or even like Bethesda's kind of fallen out of grace these days. Mm-hmm. But Elden Ring is, you know, God's gift to mankind. Well, it's like, I mean, they learned from what came before. Right. And so let's talk about what came before, because um, as we're recording this, Elden Ring is recent. It just came out a few months ago, and there has not been another open world game that's released since Elden Ring that has dominated the conversation. So I wanted to kind of start this episode by just talking about a couple open world games that we really like that we think have great open worlds. Um, Mm -hmm. Because part of what I think about now, and I think uh, Dylan, you mentioned this, like when I was younger and a game was being marketed and they said, this game has a giant open world. I was like, fuck yes. Give me that. (laughs) I'm going to play that game for 300 hours. I'm going to have a great time gimme but now when a game says it has a giant open world i'm like hmm what kind of open world is it? <laughs> yeah is it going to be is it going to be worth me playing for 50 100 150 hours and a lot of games uh, i feel like don't uh so let's talk about some that do we mentioned breath yeah. of the wild uh, before i totally agree with breath of the wild i love that game what i love about it is that the exploration and like you you know you see that point over in the distance and you can go there and going there and overcoming like the you know climbing and the weather sometimes and stuff like overcoming all of that that's your reward mm-hmm. for uh exploring is that feeling of like i wanted to go here i made it now i get to jump off the top of it and glide down and you know have a good time yeah. And I really, that really just worked for me. So Breath of the Wild's definitely one on my list. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is is fantastic. And I think that what made it so special to me outside of everything that you just mentioned, Dave, was that even though it was completely flipping and like expanding on and changing what we knew to be the uh, the Legend of Zelda formula at that point, it still captured that same magic and kind of nostalgia and same feeling of a Legend of Zelda game, 
but it put it in this whole new open world. And it was, I mean, similar to Elden Ring, like you said, we're going to make these comparisons a lot. It was like the open world didn't just feel like a cheap kind of gimmick that they did. They actually Mm -hmm. put a lot of love and care into it and made it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't played through a ton of Breath of the Wild yet. Uh, It's one that is on my list. I'm not uh, avoiding it because I haven't enjoyed the time that I've put into it. I have. Uh, It just always seems like such a massive undertaking uh, every time I want to jump into it that i'm always kind of like i don't feel like i've got the time or the brain space for this right now Um, (laughs) how many hours did you put in elden ring uh a lot i recognize that (laughs) i put in a ridiculous (laughs) amount of hours to other games and it was no big deal but also like having like coming this late to the breath of the wild party it's like what it's easy to kick that can down the road for you know an elden ring or something like that you know why don't you uh why don't you give us an open world game that you really enjoyed? Uh something that has a really good open world. Yeah. Um so I feel like and I'm I'm going to reach back into as I was kind of thinking through this, I was like what was the first like big open world game that I really remember playing mm-hmm. and vibing with? And for me, I think it's Skyrim. Um I know at this point where we're, you know, Skyrim came out in what, like 2008, 2011, something like that. We're like 11. 10, yeah, 10 coming on 15 years of having Skyrim um, with no other Elder Scrolls games. So at this point, it's a little bit of a meme uh, to be like, oh, that you know, Skyrim, like big open world game. But like back in 2011, it was still very fresh to have like uh, an open world game like that, especially on console. Um, and, and that was like the first big one I really remember getting super invested in. Um, and it does, you know, it did put stuff on the map and everything, you know, it wasn't as hands off as something like Elden Ring or, uh, you know, Breath of the Wild. But for me, just like that exploration of, you know, like, okay, I'd mark something, it would be halfway across Skyrim. And now on my way there, I'd, you know, wander through and like, through just kind of environmental cues and storytelling, I'd kind of like stumble across this camp or stumble into this cave that had its own little unique story or, you know, um, come across just like some, some, uh, enemies just out in the world, um, doing something. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, you know, for me, that was just an amazing experience. Um, you know, uh, looking back, we can look at it and be like, yeah, they open world games have come a long way since then. Um, yeah. yeah. But for its time and even now, I think Skyrim holds up. It's just I, I wish we could get an Elder Scrolls six. Yeah, like a newer, yeah. a newer version. I mean, Skyrim is great. I remember back in the day. I mean, that I've definitely put a lot of hours into Skyrim, but like that would be the game where I would be going towards a quest get sidetracked next thing i know i've done the entire like dark brotherhood storyline yeah. and i've never even <laughs> yeah. made it to my my original quest and like it was it, back when it came out that was really special yeah the elder scrolls in general like you you want to talk about the first open world yeah. we played the first one i remember was playing morrowind uh, back on the xbox and i other maybe a grand theft auto game was like the first open world i played but 
Morrowind was the first one where I got that feeling, like you said, of like this magical exploration and the world in Morrowind is so fucking weird that like you want to <laughs> yeah. go check out everything you see. And I definitely got that from Morrowind and then in Oblivion and then again when Skyrim came out. And then I yeah. started to get tired of the Bethesda style of open world, you know, going through checking every building, looting every container the way that those games want you to play. Because uh, also the Fallout games, like I played yeah. um, Fallout 3 and New Vegas, and those are really fun open worlds to explore too. So Bethesda definitely like captures your imagination when you're exploring in a good mm. way. Um, I played New Vegas last year and had a good time playing it. So I think like that style still works on me. I just, yeah. I, I get burned out on that too, uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. Like in a way, maybe it's good that they haven't continued to release Elder Scrolls every few years because, it's not, you know, I think like you said, it's easy to get kind of get burned out if you have too much of that all at once. But uh, yeah, be nice to, you know, well, I guess we'll see what Starfield looks like in a yeah. couple months. So we've got some some games that really entice you to explore uh, mm. a bunch. And there is a game that Andrew and I both wrote down in the notes here, which I don't think has good exploration or rewards for exploring. Uh, it's mostly just collectibles. But uh, Spider-Man, basically, well, the Spider-Man on the PS4, Miles Morales, mm -hmm. but the old Spider-Man games too, like Spider-Man 2 for the Xbox, uh, mm -hmm. where I played it. Those are really fun open world games, even though I don't, I wouldn't put the world as like a fun place to explore and there's not really good rewards for exploring, but mm -hmm. it kind of works in a different way for me because moving around in Spider-Man is so much fun. You need to have this big space to just play around in. So when I think about like our games served by being open world or is it just open world for no reason? Spider-Man at first glance you're like hey you may realize like hey there's you know I don't really find anything fun out here maybe I found a backpack or something you know collectibles but it's so fun to swing around and traverse the world kind of like Grand Theft Auto 2 it's fun to steal cars and go off ramps and stuff like yep. that <laughs> those uh those are another type of open world that kind of work uh in a different way yeah because you mentioned like the open world serving the traversal in Spider-Man. And that is, that is the thing that make that, like I mentioned earlier, if an open world game has kind of like that one gimmick or that one secret sauce or that one mechanic that makes it fun to play, like the traversal in Spider-Man is that thing. Mm. The combat is fun. It's solid. Uh, the, I really like the story in both of those games, but just, you can just hop into those games at any point and just start swinging through the world and just have a good time. They released back in 2010, I'm looking at it here, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, where you played as multiple different Spider-Men. It was kind of like the uh, the, the Spider-Verse you know, Spider movie, except it was Peter Parker. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a linear game, and so you're going through levels and it was still a good game had a good story good characters and stuff like that but there was i feel like something that felt like it was missing when you couldn't just like 
go crazy in this big open space with your web and acrobatics and launching yourself and diving off a skyscraper and all those kind of cool things that you can do in the open world Spider-Man games. Yeah, I think um, I think has anyone played Just Cause? I think that's the one where you get like jetpacks yeah. and sh- and shit mm-hmm. like that, and that's like half the fun of playing those games is just yeah. flying around in the open world. Yeah, because those games have like barely a story or a narrative. It's like <laughs> you're like agent guy, you're on an island trying to take down dictator guy, strap this rocket to a cow and see what happens. Like you're just <laughs> you're just playing with the physics and all the crazy tools that you have at your disposal. I played a good bit of Just Cause 3 and had a pretty good time with it. Um I heard that four maybe came out a little too soon need a little more time in the oven so i never actually tried that one but i I had a good time with three yeah spider-man is another one that's on my list to play but i have not played it yet (laughs) so it's good and uh for open world games um something that's a big issue with open world games is a lot of them are just too fucking long but yep Mm -hmm. spider-man and miles morales are both pretty short miles morales is like an eight hour game I was going to say, Miles Morales, to get the platinum, you have to play the campaign twice because it's so oh. short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially once you know what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go, and like just skip through whatever. Like You can play the campaign alone probably in like four hours, maybe. Yeah. Oh, geez. It's, wow. it's pretty short. Yeah. We have a uh, response here uh, that is kind of um, leading into the next uh, group of open world games I want to talk about. Uh, a response from a random gamers podcast. And uh, they say a world that's actually filled with content uh, is a good thing for open worlds. Size doesn't matter if it's not filled with stuff to do. So, yeah, I think and this kind of we talked about uh, the Elder Scrolls and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there are some really good games that are just full of stuff to do and even checklist style games, Ubisoft style. Like I loved... um, Assassin's Creed Black Flag back in the day. Mm-hmm. I love Ghost of Tsushima. That game has a lot of, you know, checkmarky type things. The Witcher 3 is another one we haven't brought up yet. I think mm-hmm. that's a great game. I love yeah. the open world and it's full of stuff to do, even though it is, you open the map, it's full of question marks and you kind of just go clear the question marks off. And another one uh, that's not a huge open world that I think is fun and full of fun stuff to do are uh, the Yakuza games. Those have tiny open worlds, very small, you know, 10 city blocks in either direction, but they're so densely packed with fun stuff to do. So um, those do not give you check marks, though. You kind of have to go search those out, um, find side quests, go play arcade games, stuff like that. Mm. So there are a lot of open world games that just kind of give you worlds that are full of stuff, like readily like noticeable stuff, uh, unlike Breath of the Wild, unlike Elden Ring, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. So are there any of these uh, style games that you guys think did this really well? It makes me think of the Arkham games. Yeah. I think the Mm. Batman Arkham games did a pretty good job of keeping the world, even though it's like an open space. The first one was a little bit more Metroidvania, but like City and uh, Night were both very much open world. And mm-hmm. I think that 
they give you enough room to play around in and be able to actually like utilize Batman's glider and stuff, but they don't feel so big that they're overwhelming. And there's always something around the corner, whether it's a fight or a Riddler trophy or something you can go explore, some puzzle or some, you know, breakable wall or something like that. So those are the first ones that came to mind when you were talking about that. Yeah, those are the ones that came to mind for me, too, uh, where it's like it's not like you're exploring like a small country or anything. You're exploring like an island or, you know, a little bit of Gotham City or something like that. Um, But it's still, you know, it's not as big as some of these massive open world games, but it, it still kind of sets you loose at this, you know, big open area and says, have fun, you know? Yeah, I. I didn't play a lot of Arkham Knight. I played a couple hours and didn't like it and stopped playing, but I did play Asylum and uh, Arkham City, and I actually like the linear Asylum a lot more than the open world of City. City was like, I had fun, and then, because like Batman also has a lot of tools that make going around the world pretty fun, you know, swinging around, uh, yeah. using the grappling hook and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. And then there's a point in Arkham City where they're just like, uh, you are going to die if you're out in the open space at all. There's The city gets filled with snipers. And oh, yeah. they're just like, okay, no more fun in the open world. It's time to, you know, time to stealth around, I guess. And, I think they uh, do that at night too. <laughs> ah, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I made the, <laughs> I made the right decision by stopping that game. But- Like, I enjoyed going around the open world, and then they took it away, so I kind of default back to, like, well, I really liked the linear uh, Arkham Asylum uh, kind of structure a little bit more than that. Some games that I think, like, are full of checklists, but, like, hide, because I think think a lot of people are, at the very least, a little bit eye-rolly when a game with a checklist of stuff or like a map full of icons comes up. I know I am, but there are a couple of games that make that a little bit, um, like they hide it. Well, like, uh, have you guys played ghost of Tsushima? Yep. Yeah. I actually didn't think about it until you mentioned it. And then I was like, Oh yeah, that was, yeah, that was a great game. Like you said, it was very kind of typical open world, but I think just the setting and their commitment to the, like, art style and everything that they did and the characters and then the combat system was so fun that it really kind of it it was the thing that put it one step above just your generic open world game yeah the the gameplay in ghost of tsushima in my opinion doesn't do anything that a more recent assassin's creed game doesn't do but ghost of tsushima is also like the most beautiful game i've ever played so (laughs) i'm willing to forgive some of the open world sins uh, because i like just walking through some of these sections and seeing you know what kind of flowers and trees and weather and stuff did they have going on here that's part of the reward for it so i really enjoyed that it also made me like very kind of melancholy and sad at the end because i cared about the characters and what happened Whereas in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I don't know if I could tell you who any of the characters were that weren't Eivor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy the story in Ghost of Tsushima. And they have, you know, 
five characters that you need to know who they are in a, you know, a 35 hour game. It really helps you kind of stay connected to who's important for sure. Yeah. The Witcher 3 is similar. Like the Witcher 3 is a game where you open up the map and it's full of question marks, but the world (laughs) and the folklore and the characters that you meet are so memorable that like, I wasn't drawn to clearing a question mark off the map because I want to clear a question mark off the map. It was like, when I go here, I'm going to get told a little fucked up short story. I'm going to see a cool (laughs) monster. I'm going to, you know, see, I'm going to do something cool. Uh, Cause I I think the, the world of the Witcher is like really, really cool. So that is kind of overcomes the, you know, uh, feeling of being overwhelmed when you open up the map and see all of these things that I personally, when I see those, I'm like, well, I can't, I'm not just going to leave a bunch of stuff uncovered. I am going to go check the, all those things out. But mm-hmm. most of them in The Witcher were super memorable, except for uh, finding the sunken treasure in Skellige. That was... That oh, was yeah, 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 no. Yeah, yeah I think that <laughs> yeah. in The Witcher, it's like you do enough side quests that you realize these are worth doing. And so it's kind of exciting to see a notice board and be like, oh, what are we going to get into in this town? The random question marks, treasure hunts, point like places of power, those little things, like those aren't really too worth like going out of your way for. If you happen upon them, that's great. If not, oh well. But like you realize that the writing and the story content and stuff is there and it it's worth experiencing. And really like CD Project did an excellent job. I recently actually finished the last audiobook of the Witcher book series. And I think they did a really good job of capturing that lore, that universe, what makes it also interesting, you know, the the fact that there's really no right answer to any question you're presented with. And so just all of that is what makes that world so so fun to explore it's not necessarily you know like you said going from question mark to question mark and killing these drowners and getting whatever Mm -hmm. loot you might (laughs) get from them it's more about you feel like you are a part of that world and you have your place in it and then you end up just like finding yourself in these really crazy and insane situations and figuring out like how best to navigate them and get out or help people or not help people because There's really just, you don't ever really fully know what your actions are going to cause or if you're doing the right thing. And it makes it really interesting to keep pushing forward into that world. Yeah, Yeah. that is a perfect uh, segue into a response from the A for No, B for Yes podcast, uh, wrote in on Twitter, and they say, good open worlds have real decisions to make. And that's part of the thing that The Witcher does uh, really well. Uh, Or... Uh, a for no, B for yes uh, podcast also says, or they have a fun factor to sidestep it. Uh, so they say Minecraft did this with creative tools. Uh, Minecraft is one I didn't think about because I've never played it, but it is an open world game. Go do whatever you want. Um, and uh, they also mentioned Spider-Man with the traversal like we talked about before. I was going to say we might have to throw it to Dylan for Minecraft because I've also never played it. But Dylan, I know you've yeah. got some experience with Minecraft. Yeah, well, it you know it's one of those interesting ones where um, there's always kind of you know something to see over the next sort of 
blocky mountain. Um, <laughs> and um, it's one that doesn't always hold my attention just because, you know, it's like, okay, I, I'm not super invested in like, oh, okay, I'm going to delve into this uh, this area to try to get some diamonds or whatever. But also they've added a lot since I played it uh, a bunch. Um, and mm-hmm. so... You know, now, like, as you're digging, you can find, like, abandoned mine shafts, and you can find, like, these little uh, areas that portal you to another dimension. And, you know, um, so there's a lot of, like, cool little things, and it's, you know, it kind of just gives you a, like, hey, here you go, here's some stuff, go punch a tree, build a house, do whatever you want. And we have a loose kind of storyline that you can do if you want. and if it's too hard or you just you don't want to like deal with that you can turn on creative mode kind of like they were saying and just kind of have fun doing you know give yourself all of the big stuff and then you know follow the storyline through as well so mm-hmm. um but i i agree though i think having those things that keep you kind of like engaged with the big open world um like they were saying, um, or like ways to kind of get around it. Like the Witcher three, I think was a good example of like pretty much every quest has the option to just go kill a bunch of people. And, and like, (laughs) that's how you solve the problem. Um, but most of the time there were other ways to like go about it as well. Um, and you know, I don't know if you're the type of player who's like, I'm just going to kill everything to solve my problems or I want to try to talk my way out of it. You know, like maybe one is sidestepping versus the other for different people. But it's always mm -hmm. worth it to level up your Axie skill because that can get you out of a lot of fights (laughs) if you want to go that route. Uh, So Jake says the the big thing I like about open worlds is choice. If something is seeming too hard or boring or whatever, I can go do something else. Elden Ring definitely succeeds in this more from jake later (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah no i i 100 agree you know like if an open world does not have choice if it's just throwing you in and forcing you down one direction or another then like what is the point of giving you this big open world you know um like um i think you can even see this in like some of the more confined open worlds um where it doesn't have to be this big massive thing but there are at least a few different directions you can take and go to progress and i think it allows you to kind of take it at your own you know like if you run into a wall like an elden ring if you get into a boss fight where it's just like oh this is kind of tough like go a different direction you know like Mm -hmm. sure you can run straight into the first sort of legacy dungeon area in elden ring and just you can kind of just go there pretty quickly like kind of straight away um and it's it's not actually that far off from where you start but if you get there and you're having trouble with it go explore you know the first area or two of the game for like 20 hours and come back and you'll be massively over leveled and if it's your first from soft game it's still maybe a little tough but it'll be a lot easier than it was for sure um yeah and i think the witcher does that too Skyrim, you know, all of these games that we've kind of been talking about, it's kind of like, okay, go do this other 
thing go this other direction um you know you're you don't want to progress the main quest in the witcher go play gwent for 15 hours you know (laughs) so hell yeah for sure i i appreciate when games like have stuff like that breath of the wild's another one like you can go fight ganon right as soon as you get off the great plateau if you want to but for most people you're not going to be good enough so or you're not going to be ready so go explore go do what you want to do um, if you don't want to do those uh, divine beast things, ignore them for a while. Go do something else. Um, and that freedom to like do what you want to do is, I feel like that's like the main reason for having an open world is to give you choices of what you want to do at that moment, for sure. Uh, I have a response here from Aaron, who's one of my co-hosts on a top three podcast. Uh, Aaron says a good open world game constantly has you guessing whether or not you're in danger, uh, but also has obvious safe spots. And The Witcher is one of those where there's monsters all over the place. Uh, Elden Ring, obviously, you're yeah. You you feel like you're never safe, uh, but because it is a FromSoft, a Souls game, um, you are safe once you've kind of cleared this particular area and stuff. But stuff like that can really help go a long way for helping you feel immersed in whatever world you're playing you know if you feel like you know something could come out if you're playing you know the witcher or something like that yeah the one that comes to mind for me is the division um which oh okay um is it kind of falls into that ubisoft like checklisty type of game but um you know, it's it's set after a, a a viral outbreak that has killed a bunch of people. And so you have these little like safe zones around New York City or around Washington, D.C. And every time you step out, you're stepping into a hostile world. And then they have other areas that you can step out into, like from the overworld. That's like all no holds barred, like even fellow players can like kind of kill you and I think he's right. That tension um, is really kind of palpable there where it's like, okay, I'm in, you know, this little safe zone, I'm, you know, walking around, I can easily go talk and upgrade, but now I'm going to, you know, step out into the world and there are going to be patrols of like these mercenaries or these like, you know, the sanitation department in New York that like took over and is like torching people and you know that kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. and so and and i thought that game too like did a good job of giving you a reason to actually explore um, just with its environmental storytelling and everything so yeah for a game that doesn't ever make you feel safe um i would mention horizon zero dawn because i haven't played forbidden west but zero dawn did a really good job of making you feel like being out in the wilderness was dangerous like Mm -hmm. you got to be ready to um to fight uh whenever you see anything uh, out there horizon zero dawn is actually one of my examples uh in a little bit for an open world that i don't like but i do like how the um how it does feel like you're out in the wilderness with these wild aggressive uh animals in air quotes robot dinosaurs everywhere Mm -hmm. you never truly feel safe out um outside of a town uh, in horizon i do think that's really good
have another uh, response from uh, Jim. Andrew, you want to read that one? Sure, yeah. Jim says, For me, the difference between good open world, Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild, versus boring open world, I actually don't have an example here, (laughs) comes down to the variety, meaningful exploration, and a willingness for the game to trust the player's intelligence. Yeah, very true. Trusting your intelligence is an interesting uh, thing because a lot of a lot of games. This is one thing that I think a lot of older games did better. Just trusting you as a player, as a you know, at the very least, a you know, <laughs> a teenager or something. You know, a, right. a human being of more than like ten years of age. You're intelligent. You can figure mm-hmm. some stuff out. With a little guidance, of course, I, I I don't really love it when games just drop you in and give you nothing at all, uh, unless it's very elegantly designed. And I don't think a lot of older games are as elegantly designed as they should be to pull something like that off. There are some, though. But as we get more and more modern and people, the games are more expensive to make, they have to make more money to, um, you know, to turn a profit. And people are so terrified of someone not getting it and getting frustrated and turning the game off and you know telling their friends that it sucks when there are games coming out that prove that you can trust people to figure it out and so elden ring breath of the wild those are perfect examples of that you don't have to tell me where to go uh you can let me figure that out i mean they give you a little subtle like you know, the the grace points will point in a direction that say like, hey, eventually you need to go over here. But by following the grace points, you'll hit the first boss, like Dylan mentioned, you'll probably have a hard time. And then you are intelligent enough to think, hey, this is an open world. Let me go somewhere else and see what's over there. And it's a good point that Jim brings up to just trust people. We're smart yeah. enough. We can handle it. And And like you were saying, I think that really kind of hits the nail on the head where you know breath of the wild elden ring two of the biggest like open world games making waves of the past what five ten years Mm -hmm. um have been those games and the thing that is almost universally praised about them there are people that like get frustrated and are like i don't know where to go but the thing that is generally universally praised is that they kind of just let you decide what you want to do. They let you go out there. They trust that you know what you're coming to this game for, and you are smart enough to know kind of what you want to do with it. And, you know, I, I I think maybe it was a bit different way, way back in the day before we had the internet, but now that we have the internet too, you know, it's like, I don't need the video game to hold my hand if I want to just walk through like have somebody tell me where exactly where I need to go to golden path it I'm happy to like just look up a walkthrough online if I need to and and like you said I think the best examples give you an idea of like if you would like to progress the main story here is where you go and I think Skyrim even you know did a bit of this where it's like here's the dragonborn quest you mm-hmm. can ignore it for 300 hours yeah um but if you would like to progress this this quest here is where you go to to do so um but uh, you know and and it gives it something meaningful too you know like it's 
I think a lot of people come to open world games for that exploration because we can explore in our our normal everyday lives, but it's a little bit harder to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's and if we're doing it, we're not fighting monsters. We're not, um, you know, going and exploring some crazy fantasy world. You know, we're just exploring like our town our city or maybe a you know a a park or something nearby or the woods nearby or something um Mm -hmm. but it's it's kind of like let us just go and explore and reward us for it so we have uh one more response here about kind of the the good parts about open worlds and this response is from chris n who says that uh, i like in open worlds uh, you normally have legendary type enemies that you can hunt down um And uh, Chris also says, I don't like the overwhelming feeling of sometimes literally hundreds of little dots to go check uh, (laughs) on a map. And I was trying to think of like open worlds that have these legendary enemies. Uh, Those things are cool. They make the world feel more alive than a handful of selective uh, or like carefully selected enemy types to match your level, you know? Mm hmm. I like Xenoblade Chronicles does this. I always thought that was kind of cool about Xenoblade Chronicles, even though those aren't really open world. They're just huge levels uh, that you go through. Um, El- Elden Ring has these too. Uh, that's something that Elden Ring does. Anyone got any others? I was going to say what comes to mind for me is like, like Final Fantasy 15 and probably other Final Fantasies like it. Um, when you, at least in 15 when you beat the game there's like just these ridiculously hard up enemies you can go fight but what i was thinking of was the nemesis system in shadow of war and shadow of mordor and then also oh, right. the um kind of copy of that in the most recent assassin's creed games where you can just be like kind of exploring the world and there are these like beefed up enemies that are just also wandering around the world and if you encounter them mm-hmm. you either better be ready to fight well or die or come back when you've leveled up a little bit more and usually in those games they're tied to like a bounty system or some sort of a quest but like in the shadow of war shadow of mordor games it's like integral to the game and how you progress through the game being able to like convert these tougher enemies to your side of the fight and you know have them fight against the your enemies alongside you so those are kind of what came to mind for me yeah and and i think assassin's creed is one that stood out to me too where it's like you've got the uh i think about black flag where you had like the the pirate lords that you would like sail around and like go hunt down or like the legendary ships mm -hmm, yeah or uh like red dead where you've got like the gunslingers or the uh the animals the like legendary yeah. animals or legendary fish that you can go look for and to me and i i love stuff like that where it it makes it feel like it's a little bit more than you know like it's in essence it is a check the check the box check the list like you were doing something but it makes it feel connected with the world in a way that matters um mm-hmm. because it's like okay i'm not just like going to this spot on the map and like holding X to collect something. I'm going to have a showdown with this, you know, gunslinger in red dead two, or I'm, you know, going to, 
uh, fight this uh, uh, Valhalla had like these witches, this like witch quest line where you would like explore around and you'd find this witch and like go fight her. And it was a tough enemy, um, but um, like it and it was a, a checkbox like thing and you, you were rewarded for it. But it was like, OK, this makes it feel like they got that this is part of this world. Like it's not just like a climb this tower and collect this like randomly glowing. Aster- <laughs> uh, uh, what is it? The Abstergo or whatever, yeah. like an Assassin's thing, Creed animus, yeah, thing, yeah. animus shard. Like those, those are the ones that I don't like is, is just mm-hmm. like, Oh, just go and touch this thing. <laughs> um, it's like, well, that's kind of boring. That's not very interesting. That's uh, not, tying me to the world Um, right you want to talk about games that tie you to the world red dead 2 is a perfect example of this it's that that game is like all the way on the spectrum of like we're most the thing we value most is making you feel like you're living in this world and there's actually not a whole lot of like it's kind of like breath of the wild in that way where like if you see something you want to go check it out you can, there's probably not, you know, there's not going to be amazing treasure there. You're not going to find a a legendary gun or something like that. Mm -hmm. But what it's all about is like, you're playing this character that lives out in this world and they have, they, it was clear that like their main focus was making you feel like you're a part of that world. You do things that regular people in that world would do. Um, You know, you can go rob trains and stuff if you want, but like you can, just spend a bunch of time camping and fishing and hunting and stuff like that. And it's all slows you down to red dead two's pace and makes you just kind of take it easy and enjoy being out in that world. Uh, and so as a result, like I didn't do a ton of exploring in red dead two, but I did do a bunch of fishing and camping and, you know, make my coffee when I wake up in the morning and stuff like that. And it's a, it's another side of this, this open world thing where, you know, you're not full of like extrinsic rewards in that game. It's all like, you know, I'm role playing this cowboy or this outlaw and I'm going to do what he would do. And the world is all set up to support that. It's really cool. And Red Dead 2 is, has probably one of the most memorable cast of characters and one of the most memorable worlds because of that like i could tell you like i might not be able to remember the names of stuff but if i like go replay that game right now and i walk into a certain town i'm going to just be flooded with memories of things that have happened here in my previous playthroughs Mm. or in the past because it's just you feel like you are part of that world yeah 100 percent. yep yeah even the witcher 3 i think you know where a lot of the little side stuff that you're doing is like just being a witcher you know like in the end it's helping you explore the map it's rewarding you it's checking things off the list but it's like yeah you're fulfilling witcher contracts though you know like you're doing what Geralt would do i was gonna bring the witcher up but it's not fair for me i was gonna be like yeah it's a world that i like (laughs) feel like i've lived in but like you know 400 hours i have lived in it
So let's talk about some kind of downsides to open worlds. We've been talking a lot of like good, talking a lot of sugar about games that do this stuff really well. And we've actually mentioned some games that I have written on the, like the demerits list here for things that they do do well. Um, I wrote down The Witcher 3, for example, because there are parts of The Witcher 3 where it is just tedious to do the things that they've put on the map. Uh, when yeah. I mentioned Skellige before, yeah. that's a big thing where like, if I if and when I replay The Witcher 3, I will just ignore that. But the first time I played it, and I'm still in that mode of like, everything they put on here is fun and interesting. And then you get to Skellige and it's like, uh, you you know, we have like 10 hours of just getting sunken treasure and that kind of sucks. Uh, so that's one that I'm not a huge, that's one part of that that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I said Horizon Zero Dawn earlier as an open world that I don't love uh, because I don't think it's very fun to explore that world. It's fun to fight. Uh, I love the combat and I love how dangerous the world feels, but I played I don't know, I played 35, 40 hours of it and can't really remember any interesting discoveries that I made. They have those cauldrons. Those are cool, but those are super hidden. I only found like two of them in my entire game. And every other time I was like, hey, that, you know, that structure looks cool. Let me go look in there. There's like a a coffee mug in there, <laughs> just some collectible. And <laughs> There's nothing else in there that I thought was interesting. So I, they got me thinking about like, do I want this to not be an open world? And I don't think so. And I, I heard in uh, Forbidden West, I heard this is better. I just haven't played Forbidden West yet. Um, so that was where I landed. I was like, I hope they keep it open world, but make it more fun to explore, basically. Do you guys have any uh, any other games that you think are like really not served by being open world i'm trying to think of ones that i don't feel like are sir like i think i i fall more into your camp dave where a lot of it was like why are we doing so much um yeah you know assassin's creed specifically comes to mind like i said i like a lot of what assassin's creed does uh but that like you know even when i think about my personal favorite of like black flag there were like just these little like animus things that you had to like climb and get and like boring collectibles to me are like one of the the biggest like not pet peeves but just like why why are we filling the open world with this you know like mm -hmm. why when i open my map i see all of these freaking things all over the place like i would much rather have a more streamlined experience that encouraged me to like go explore those places and actually rewarded me for it um for example, like the division, um, you know, a lot of the places you could go explore would have like a little audio log or something that was kind of like filling you into the backstory of like yeah. how the like those weeks between like when the outbreak happened and the world was kind of collapsing and uh, or uh, I don't know if control counts as like an open world game. I think of it somewhat like an open world game, although it's probably more of like a Metroidvania type of thing. But, you know, yeah. they, they also kind of had that uh, sort of thing or, or even Skyrim, you know, where you'd go and you'd explore and you'd find like a book or something like that. Um, and it wasn't just like, a, oh, OK, you touch this thing. Here's a little check mark. Here's a little collectible. Like, give me I, I like 
in-game I, I think my I think the thing that it boils down to is I don't like to be jerked out of the immersion of playing a big open world game where I'm trying to immerse myself in that world and explore it by re- constant reminders that like hey you're playing a video game you know <laughs> go collect these things you see that <laughs> yeah. shiny thing up there go get that exactly and so yeah. like the ones that i think do it well are the ones that do it in a non-egregious way like i haven't played ghost of tsushima but having watched it it's like very subtle like nudges to like hey you might want to check this out hey you yeah. might want to go over here the collectibles quote unquote are like go fight this samurai go compose this like haiku you know like mm-hmm. that kind of thing where it's if you boil it down to a mechanical, like, what is this? It's a, it's a collectible. Yeah. But they do it in an immersive way, I guess. Right. Instead of them just putting a collectible out on the field uh, for you, you find a cute fox, and the fox <laughs> leads you to the collectible, and then you, you get your thing, and then you can pet the fox, and it's a much more pleasant uh, experience. You, uh, you kind of unlocked something for me as I was complaining about Horizon earlier, uh, when you're talking about the division, the thing, one of my favorite things about Horizon Zero Dawn was figuring out what happened yeah. uh, in the past, getting those audio logs, but those are confined to the main quest. You pretty much only get those during main quest missions. And if they had just put audio logs around that were more plentiful in the open world, you know, if I if I see a, you know, a collapsed structure and I go explore it and then I find an audio log with a little short story about the people who used to live there, then I would be much more interested in going and checking those places out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Cause it's, it's adding to your experience in the immersion rather than just kind of like, Hey, you know, pull up that checklist again, check it off. You know, you did it. (laughs) I think the worst offender of this is LA Noir. Yeah, that game did not need to be open world whatsoever. If they would have just done a linear story based on the characters in that game, it would have been so much better. And I like that game. I enjoy it. But anytime where they're like, hey, do this car chase in the open world or go try drive from this part of town to this part of town to go look at this dead body. It's like, was this really necessary? And then I think you can even <laughs> skip like the driving sections. Like if you don't want to drive, just let your partner drive. And it's like, why are we doing this? It's because, well, it's Rockstar and they make open world games, except for what, like Max Payne 3. So it's like, well, I, that's the one that always comes to my mind when I'm like, if they ever did a sequel or a reboot or anything like kind of in that vein, it's like, just make it linear. Yeah. And, and I think that holds for a lot of like, and I, and I don't want to, hammer them because like uh, they're not like a big triple a quadruple a studio like rockstar or something like that but like i recently played um the sinking city which is like a detective game um it's made by the (laughs) people who make the sherlock holmes games um i really like the game that said there was a lot of just kind of like wandering around where you know the first hour or two where they because they have this whole like gimmick where it's like they don't have you know street numbers house numbers it's just like they know where they live based on like the intersections that they're near or whatever and so like you kind of had to like piece together like where where might this clue be leading me um but after like an hour or two of that it was kind of like 
you could just like take me to the next place and let me investigate there. You know, like I'm, I'm not really getting much. Now, to be fair, wandering around like the atmosphere is really good, but it didn't need to be open world. And I think a lot of smaller games that try to do the open world thing do it just so they can say that they are open world and it doesn't really serve much of a purpose besides a little bit of atmosphere or uh something to slap on the box there yeah there's a lot of um a lot of games that like back i don't know 10 years ago 15 years ago if you said your game was open world that was what people wanted i feel like people wanted open world games and then I feel like that pendulum's kind of swung back where a lot of people, especially us, you know, that are getting a little bit older, have a little bit less free time to play games. A lot of us are just like, man, you could take this, you know, 40, 60 hour open world game and make it a 20 hour linear game. And I would love it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I want it to be totally linear actually i mean i i wouldn't mind a linear assassin's creed game i wouldn't mind a or at least just a more focused assassin's creed game i don't need to inhabit an entire continent (laughs) in an assassin's creed i don't need to go through the entire country of greece and make it (laughs) feel like i'm actually going through the entire country of greece um i think you can tell the stories that they want to tell and give you those little moments, you know, you have fun climbing stuff in Assassin's Creed and taking out camps from time to time. But I don't feel like that needs to be a 100 hour epic, I can get all of those same feelings in 30 hours and just have the game be done. And I would be much more likely to play it, which is why they could they announced like the new model for Assassin's Creed, the kind of games as a service model, um, where I what I think it's going to be is they're just going to release little content packs of like you know you're going to go to this map and do this little thing and then in 6 months we'll release the next one and I hope that those are short little bite-sized Assassin's Creed things I would be much more likely to play that than if they do you know Assassin's Creed in some other culture and it's another 100 plus hour game I'm pretty much over that now. Like, mm-hmm. I think they gave their best shot at doing storytelling that's interesting, like The Witcher did. I mean, the people that worked on The Witcher 3 went on to work on some of these newer Assassin's Creed games, and I just don't think it's as interesting. No. I don't think it's nearly as good. So scale that shit back, make it 20 to 25 hours, and I'm back in because I still like playing those games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I think you talk about bloat and I think that that's that's a very real, you know, you you make this massive like you make the entire country of Greece and it's like, (laughs) well, if we have the entire country of Greece, we've got to like put stuff in it, I guess. And so like what you what normally would have been a quest that got cut because it wasn't up to standard or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe makes it in because it's like, well, so far there's nothing on this little island. So I guess let's throw this this kind of crappy quest over here because like we need something 
to to fill out this world. And so I, I think you're right when it when you're doing these things on such a massive scale, I think it really is like if it doesn't feel like it's an a an inhabited open world, if it doesn't feel like there's stuff going on, people are gonna be upset. But it also like maybe leads to a little bit less quality control where it's like, well, we're just going to like throw some of these kind of like things that we normally would have cut because we don't want it to feel empty. You know, Mm -hmm. we've had these kind of games for a while, but I think that like God of war 2018 really showed how viable they are as a, an option. And that kind of like controlled open world, that kind of like hub and spoke model where it's like, you can um, yeah. explore this area with the the boat and like it changes throughout the game and you can go in these multiple different directions and kind of poke around and see what you can find. But ultimately the game is pretty linear and you're going to be locked off of certain spots until you reach certain points in the story. And I think that that is kind of the answer or maybe like, the next trend we might see a little bit more of is the more hub and spoke controlled open area, open world where it's like, you do have this location you can explore to a certain extent, but also it's not the entire country of Greece or whatever. Like you guys are talking about the the (laughs) Assassin's Creed, you know? And I think that that's pretty reasonable for developers too, because to make a giant open world game that is interesting the entire time and does feel like it's handcrafted and stuff like that is an enormous undertaking uh, for a game studio. Well, look how long it's taken us to get Bethesda games and Rockstar games like over the last few generations of consoles or whatever. It's like Red Dead took, what, eight years to make Red Dead 2? We haven't gotten a Grand mm-hmm. Theft Auto sequel since 2011, was it? So, yeah, same with Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim, yeah. they just pushed back Starfield. So, like, the scope of these open world games is just getting so astronomical in the AAA space that it's like, is it really worth it if we're not actually getting mm-hmm. to play these games? What year did uh, Breath of the Wild come out? Was that 17? 17, yeah, the year the Switch came out. Was that 16 or 17? Yeah. I think it was 17. 17, I think. So Breath of the Wild 2 is, I assume, going to be using a lot of the same art assets and stuff mm-hmm. like that from the first game. Yeah. That was five years ago five and just years. got delayed into next year. So like these are just, these are enormous things i mean who knows how long from software was working on elden ring before they announced it and then they announced it and went radio silent for years afterwards well, from so, what i heard it started development alongside Sekiro, like a separate team yeah so right after dark souls so, 3 basically yeah Which that was what, dark souls 3 was 2015 2016, 2015 that was yeah yeah so so like these these games take probably took a long long time too because games just take forever to make it's ridiculous but the budget and like but like with acting and direction and like the whole one shot nature of like that was a very they made a lot of artistic choices in that game yeah not every game has to make to be good you know and like i'm i'm not complaining that games take so long it's because uh if if every game that i'm currently thinking about that i 
want to play when it comes out. <laughs> if those games never come out, I'll still never run out of games to play. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not like mm, complaining sure. that games take forever. I'm just kind of yeah. like marveling at like, this is insane how long it takes to make a AAA or, I mean, even an indie, it, it's insane how long it takes to make a functioning video game. Yeah, you, you want know. to talk about indies, look how long it's been to get the Cuphead DLC. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. you know, Silk Song. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hollow Knight. It's, shit takes a long time. So, like, yeah, I do, I am in favor of more games adopting this kind of, like, hub and spoke semi-open world um, where you have places to explore. Or, like, uh, I, I mentioned Xenoblade Chronicles before, it's not an open world, but you have huge levels and there's yeah. a lot of space to explore uh, in those levels. So like those almost function the same way as open worlds to go look around, see what you can find. There's not really anything interesting to find in Xenoblade, but games that can follow that same structure could, uh, could do something, do something cool. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a good opportunity to get into talking about Elden Ring since we're Talking about, you know, how a lot of games should scale it back or how we appreciate a scaled back approach, Elden <laughs> Ring is the opposite of that. So yeah. let's uh, let's get into why Elden Ring works when, you know, I get burned out on Assassin's Creed games now. I think that the the magic sauce like the special sauce was just that every time the map expanded and every time I started to feel like maybe I was reaching the end of my momentum something new came along that like reignited that momentum and I don't think I don't think that that's something everybody can do. I think FromSoft did a really good job of curating this world, filling it with interesting things, making it making the open world fit perfectly with their style of gameplay. And so it all just kind of came together in kind of a perfect recipe. I still, I mean, I have some gripes with like the later game sections in Elden Ring, but overall it was like every time I thought that I was stalling out or maybe I didn't know where to go next, I would just stumble upon this thing that would just open like this whole new crazy cool place or thing I wanted to explore and see what was going to happen. And so they kind of took that what we were talking about earlier, that smaller, dense world with things to explore and things to find. And they just like did that about seven or eight times <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and just <laughs> kind of like stacked it on top of each other. And I think it worked out really well for them. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I think it really shows in in like to me, it doesn't feel all that much of a departure from like, it, it almost feels like a natural progression from what they would do in like a dark souls or a bloodborne where mm -hmm. 
you know, in, in Dark Souls, you had like you start off, you, you come out of the tutorial area, you get to kind of like your hub and you've got like you may not realize it when you're first playing through, but you've got like two or three different ways that you can go. Um, and, you know, some of those ways are a little bit tougher and not the intended way for you to go, but you're you're definitely able. And it's similar to um Elden Ring, where it's like, okay, you know, you get out of the tutorial area, you can go south to kind of like the continuation of tutorial zone. You can go north to the first um, like little legacy dungeon area, or you can go to the east to Kaled and, you know, or you can go north and take a little roundabout shortcut and get into the lakes, you know, like you can get all the way up to the capital city without fighting anything like yeah <laughs> you can well i guess you, you may have to fight like two bosses or something like that but um there's a lot that you can kind of just do and explore um and that's similar to how i think from soft designs you know their other games where you know dark souls the dark souls series the the bloodborne series like there are a lot of you know you get dumped in central yarnum which is kind of their little tutorial area uh, and then you fight your way through that and then you get to cathedral ward and there's two or three different options of like which direction you want to go. And you can kind of progress through a lot of that, uh, you know, same with dark souls three and, you know, two and one, you know, like you get done and it's like, okay, I can go to the forest of the fallen giants, or I can go to the, uh, I forget the, whatever the lake or the the sea area is in dark souls 2 it's um, tower of flame yeah like you can go there depending on the version of the game that you're playing i think there was like another way or two that you could go so i mean like it's i like i said i think it's a natural progression of kind of how they've been making games which maybe kind of shows how much care that they put in and how much they understand about how people play games mm-hmm. um because that they they set it up in a way where it's like, if you want to have our intended experience, do this. Mm-hmm. If you want to make your own experience, go do this. Other, go do whatever you want. And and they respect the players enough to trust that they'll decide what's right for them. You know? Yeah. That and like from software giving you choices is like one of the main themes, like design themes of Elden Ring, I think, giving you choices in what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to make your character, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, It's one of the biggest wins. And then like in that way we talked about with uh, Bethesda games earlier, once you do decide, you know, Margit's really hard, I'm going to go explore somewhere else, you're going to get distracted by all the cool shit you find for tens of hours and then eventually you're going to be like holy shit that was 30 hours why don't i go try margit again i kind of forgot about him for a while there and yeah. that's a uh, one of the best way one of the best things about um about elden ring and it's open world in particular is that like once you do decide that you are going to go out and explore there's so much cool stuff out there uh, to see and that leads into uh, a response from Phil from the uh, the Great Deleted Saves podcast. Got to just give a shout out to any podcast that can say their points in less than ten minutes, and that's what uh, that's what Phil does over there. Yeah, so <laughs> for sure. Certainly not the way that I do no. it over here. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> um, Phil says that Elden Ring's open world works, I think, because the design uh, has a sense of purpose to it. Even when there mm-hmm. are repetitive elements, those elements appear fresh. And so as you go through the open world, you will start to notice assets that are repeated, you know, like towers that are they look the same as the towers in other places or, you know, wizard um, strongholds that look the same as other wizard strongholds, but they're all different in some way. So there's a tower that I'm thinking of um, up near the capital that reminded me of a section in Bloodborne. And then there was another tower in another area that had a, an enemy configuration that was totally unique to it. Um, the wizard strongholds, they all look the same, but they have different puzzles you have to solve to open them up. Yeah. Um, different types of puzzles. So even when they are repeating things that look the same, the way you engage with them is not always the same and it keeps mm. it fresh. Now, unlike, you know, clearing out camps in Far Cry or Assassin's Creed, where it's literally just like, you know, this looks the same, but I'm doing the exact same thing every single time. And and uh, Ghost of Tsushima is like that too. Like, let's not only pick on Ubisoft here with that. Yeah. Rookie, you want to chill? <laughs> Dogs digging up my chair back there, if you can hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this, like... A lot of people, when they wrote in for responses on this episode, um, the freedom to do what you want to do um, and kind of like you feel like you're making that choice for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's like the big thing that people wrote in with. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, um, another person that wrote in, uh, we have Jake uh, who wrote in from earlier. Jake said earlier, uh, the big thing I like about open worlds is choice. If something is seeming too hard or boring or whatever, I can go do something else. Elden Ring definitely succeeds in this. Elden Ring also succeeds in exploration more than other open world games. Uh, because of the lack of the lack of constant map markers, it means that I actually, the player, has to explore instead of just beelining from marker to marker. Yeah. And we haven't really talked too much about it um, in here, but like I talked about it in the main Elden Ring episode. Uh, when you open the map, the map is empty and the map only fills up after you've gone places. So you are literally either looking on the map for like, you know, I see this thing. I don't know what this thing is, but I want to go see what it is. So they're very almost crudely drawn, like not much detail on the map itself. Um, And you only start to recognize what those things look like after you know, 50 hours of playing, or most often you come across a hill or you turn a corner, something comes into view and you're like, huh, I wonder what's in that, that church over there. Churches have Mm -hmm. good treasure. Let me go check it out. But churches have challenges you have to overcome sometimes, or you go into Kalid and there's a big swamp and there's stuff down in the bottom of the swamp and you see that like with your eyes, you don't have a marker telling you go into the swamp. So you're following like the things that you see and the things that you like intrinsically want to explore because you know there's something cool down there. There's a weird characters or a cool treasure or cool boss fights or something like something cool is going to be there but you're the one making the decision to go explore instead of, like Jake said, beelining from question mark to question mark, like in The Witcher 3. Well, and Elden mm-hmm. Ring did such a good job of 
removing any of that temptation from you. Because for me, like to pick on a really excellent game, Red Dead 2, there are so many times where I just set my marker and I just follow the mini map. I just follow the yellow line mm-hmm, yeah. on the like the little mini map to get where I'm going and I just miss pretty much all of the world that I just ran through. And lots of games recently have allowed you to like adjust mini maps or turn them off or remove things or tweak how those things work. But like me, I don't really dive into that a lot. And like whatever the kind of default setting is, is a lot of times what I go with. Whereas Elden Ring, they're like, hey, we're going to give you a compass up top, similar to Bethesda games where it's like we can kind of see if you're going the right direction. But other than that, you need to be looking around at the actual world you're in and looking like, is there something over here I want to explore? Is there something over here I want to avoid? Mm -hmm. And I think that really made you feel, it really forced you to get familiar with the world. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of, when you have a big open world game where you can just mark stuff, I think, and like just beeline it, I think it makes the world feel empty mm-hmm. and like pointless because it's like, well, I'm running through all of this stuff, but this is essentially just a glorified loading screen because, <laughs> you know, like I'm, it's just, you know, two minutes between me and where I have to ride to, to get to this objective or where I have to run to, to get to this objective. To me, GTA five is one of the worst culprits of this, where it's just like, there are so many good parts about that open world. And there are so many parts where it's just like drive here, spend five minutes driving here to, to do this quest. And it's like, well, okay, but like, did I need that? Did I need to drive to this specific place to start this quest? Or could I just like, could we just have done a loading screen? Um, and I think FromSoft has always been very good at giving you like, a re a reason to look around and like hey their world is very dangerous and so you have to be on alert you can't just be eyeing your mini map b they do have uh, they they've done this for a while but they'll like put the little like glowing soul or glowing item thing around to just kind of like guide your eyes to like oh there might be something interesting over here like even the scarabs that are in this world most of them run off the like in a direction that leads you somewhere and takes you to like uh hey there's something important over here mm-hmm <laughs> or in between two giant crabs to, to <laughs> or, smash yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like, you've got to be paying attention and like, and because even if the, the area that you end up riding to and exploring in Elden Ring ends up not really having like a big payoff, it still feels impactful because you were paying attention to the world around you versus when you know that like, this area has nothing because Assassin's Creed's map markers are telling you there is nothing of interest between mm-hmm. you and the sequest marker here, you know? Yep. So, yeah, you, uh, you, you guys reminded me of a game that I think does, um, small open world without a mini map, uh, really well, uh, which is Deus Ex Mankind mm. Divided, mm. Uh, mm-hmm. which it has a mini map. You can turn it off though. And, um, the one thing that game gets a lot of praise because it is a very dense open world with a lot of stuff that you can interact with and buildings you can go inside of. And when you get quests, they'll give you an address 
and the buildings have addresses on them. So like a lot of games um, will give you that option. Like you can turn off your mini map. Uh, you can, or they say like, hey, the Witcher, you can turn off your mini map. You can try not to use Witcher vision, but it's a lot harder. Like the game is designed to use those right. things. But in uh, in Mankind Divided, they have actually made it so that you can play the game without your mini map and um, enjoy it maybe even more because you have to pay attention to the world like Dylan was talking about uh, as you're going around. And it's it's definitely a great part about Elden Ring how you, because you're paying attention, kind of like in Skyrim, uh, like we mentioned before, you may set your marker or like um, just know like, because you can't, you can't set a marker in Elden Ring while you're looking at something like you can in Breath of the right. Wild. So oftentimes you're kind of like, the thing I need to go to is east. So I'm just going to follow the compass, ride east, but you're going to find a bunch of weird stuff along the way and get sidetracked in the way that the best open worlds do. They give you cool stuff to interact with as you're going to your goal. Because if you're not doing that, then why not be linear? And mm -hmm. From Software has always been good at giving you really interesting things to hold your attention. And that didn't stop when they moved to open world. I was really worried yeah. when I heard open world that it was going to be a map marker um, kind of checklist type thing. And I didn't pay attention to any of like the network test footage. I went on full blackout before the game came out. And so as soon as it started and I saw, you know, you come out into Limgrave, you see the tree sentinel there, you get smashed by him several times, and then you're like, okay, time to go somewhere else. And then you realize it is a, like a player driven open world and not just like, you know, checking stuff off the, off the list. And that's something that goes into uh, what Charlie says. Uh, Charlie wrote in that uh, as a, uh, only a recently naturalized gamer American TM. It's the first FromSoft game I was aware of. So Charlie is um, playing Elden Ring as the first FromSoft game, uh, which oh, wow. there's an entire episode on that coming out next week. If you're interested in more perspectives on Elden Ring for FromSoft uh, newbies, Charlie says, compared to the other open world games I've played, uh, the total freedom of exploration without quests or map markers is endlessly fun and way more rewarding uh, than it should be, or way more rewarding than you might expect. Um, yeah. 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 Well, and, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense because most of us are playing a video game to feel powerful, to feel proficient. Like we like to, we, we don't want to go into a video game and just feel like, you know, oh, this is exactly how it would go if, I myself as my who I am right now walked into a crazy <laughs> fantasy from soft world, you know, like I would die immediately in, in uh -huh. Yarnum. I would die immediately in Lingrave. like tree sentinel would run out and kill me immediately. We don't want to, you know, he does that a lot to us in, in Elden Ring too, but, um, but there's something that goes along with like making you feel like you're the one discovering this stuff, you know, that 
is not there when you've got a lot of these games that like mark everything very clearly and hold your hand. Um, Because like, I just think about, I, I, I see a lot of like TikToks and, you know, videos and whatever on Elden Ring. And I've put 200 something hours into Elden Ring. And there are still things that I'll see on like TikTok or whatever. That's like, holy crap, like, I didn't know that that was even in the game. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. know this area was in the game. I didn't know that weapon was in the game. I didn't know this or that was in the game. And even though I personally didn't discover it, it's still cool to see. And I had so many of those moments myself playing through the game because it wasn't like, oh, you know, like the game developers were like, hey, you should really check this thing. You should go over Mm -hmm. here like you should, you know, not in an obvious way. I think FromSoft does it very subtly and very well, Um, but it it makes you feel like, hey, I'm good at this exploring thing. I'm good at this like (laughs) fantasy realm. I feel powerful in a way that maybe some of these other games don't because it's just it's everything is so clearly marked and it's like well at a certain point like when you remove all the mystery from exploration is it really exploring or is it just going to the points that are marked for you you know yeah and from software did a great job of making us feel like that was our decision i mean it was our decision but like when you this is really early in the game but you come out of the um the tutorial area you go in the open world if you turn right you immediately get to a big lake there's some ruins in the lake and if you don't feel the need to go down into those ruins then i don't know why you're playing an open world to begin <laughs> with right mm-hmm. so they yeah. could have put a map marker there that says like you know hey come check out the the dragon burned ruins but instead, they're just like, no, you want to check this out because yeah. there are ruins in the middle of this lake surrounded yeah. by burnt trees and stuff like that. You want to know what's going on there. And yeah. so it's, again, it's putting that decision on on me instead of like just saying, hey, man, you want, you want to check this out, right? You want to clear this map. So mm-hmm. better go here. Yeah. Yeah. One of you guys want to read uh, what Jim says? Sure. Um, So Jim says that I think variety is important. Um, He mentioned that earlier. Um, I think even the best games fall victim to this a bit, and maybe it's to give the world some consistency, but how many of the shrines in Zelda feel samey? And how many tombs with those demon imps do you go through in Elden Ring? But the fact that Caleb looks so different from the Great Plateau makes me want to see all of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this kind of goes into what uh, one of you mentioned before, right? Just when things start to feel a little bit samey, you'll get into a new area and you'll you'll go into Kaled and be like, what the fuck is going on with this <laughs> exactly. place? Or you will, um, you'll be going through some of those uh, underground areas that they, they kind of look similar after a while, but then you get to the Lake of Rot and you're like, what the hell is this place? <laughs> And they change it up so much and even past the classic, you know, desert section, snow section, fire section. It's it's even more interesting than that in Elden Ring. And so like when you do start to feel a little bit of open world fatigue, you go into a new area that is either 
like shockingly beautiful or totally fucked up like Caleb, like we mentioned. And that gives you that extra push to just keep going and find out what's going on in here. Because From Software is also one of the things they've always done is they're putting little short stories around in these areas about the people who lived here or still do live here. What happened? Why is Caleb like this? You can you can learn all that stuff. Yeah, they do a good job of even though all the dragon models are pretty much the same and you you have mm-hmm. repeat bosses and repeat enemies and stuff like the environments are are somewhere where the the kind of uniqueness stands out. But they always just put that little bit of a twist on it that makes it feel unique and I think that they walked the line pretty much perfectly. Like you can nitpick things here and there, but I think the mm-hmm. line of like, okay, we've only got so much time and so much budget. We've got to, you know, reuse some of these assets. We can't make a unique dragon for every encounter, but also the mm-hmm. line of, from the player's perspective, especially going through it the first time, you don't care or you don't notice. Like it still feels exciting and magical the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the dragons are a perfect example of that, where, you know, you've got uh, event like the first dragon that you get to, like, kind of pops out and swoops down in its its little way. And then the you get to Kaled and the like rotting dragon kind of gets you or what, you know, like, are they the same? Like from a a model standpoint from a you know like functionality standpoint do they have the same moves yeah basically but they all do something a little bit differently and the environment that you encounter them in is just as important as like the the enemy that you're fighting itself you know um yeah and those dragon fights are fun too so like i never got tired of fighting dragons because fighting dragons is fun uh, especially like on horseback. There are a couple bosses that repeat many, many times that are not as fun. And so I did <laughs> kind of get tired of fighting, you know, tree avatars or mm. the ulcerated tree spirits. Mm-hmm. I got kind of sick of them. But like, again, I can fight most of those on horseback. That makes it more fun. When you're fighting, we like talked about five traversal. of them over a how many hour experience. It's mm-hmm. not quite yeah, as bad. That's That's another point they do get kind of spaced out, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's another, um, we talked about traversal earlier in games that maybe don't have the best or the most like enriching open worlds, but swinging around in Spider-Man is super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, flying around in just cause is fun from what I hear riding around on torrent and doing double jumps and going on wind springs and stuff like that. And Elden ring is, is really fun. And, I definitely didn't expect that part of playing Elden Ring to be as fun as it was, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Riding a horse usually is more like a tool than a actual fun thing to do. But in Elden Ring, they were like, nah, fuck it. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Double jump with this horse. <laughs> yeah. Platforming on horseback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have another response from the A for No, B for Yes podcast. Um, they say Elden Ring's world works because of the challenge and reward balance. Uh, whether things amaze or scare, there are real decisions to make. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I immediately 
was wondering about when I first booted up the game and immediately was like, they nailed this. Mm -hmm. Because From Software has always been about this risk-reward balance. You have this tightly designed section between bonfires. Mm -hmm. And you have your, your Estes resources to get from bonfire to bonfire. And you're always pushing like, do I go a little bit further and maybe find the next bonfire, but I only have one Estus, or do I go back and heal, level up, and try again? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're always going through that. And so Elden Ring takes away these tightly designed spaces, like managing your Estus mostly, mm -hmm. or your consumable stuff uh, too, or you know getting souls and trying to level up before you die and lose them. Mm -hmm. And... I think Elden Ring, like, just nailed, like, From Software nailed keeping that same risk reward mm -hmm. in an open world. Like, they did a couple things to help you explore. Uh, like, um, we talked about the scarabs. You can replenish your mm -hmm. Estus, mm -hmm. your Crimson Tears by killing the scarabs. Mm -hmm. um, if you kill a group of enemies, you get a charge back on your, um, your healing, mm -hmm. which is just a, a genius idea because one of the secrets about FromSoft games is that even from Demon Souls, you don't have to fight stuff. You can run past almost anything yeah. in these games. So you may be, you will find yourself riding past groups of enemies, but if you find a new thing and you decide like, oh, I want to kill these things, once you're done killing everything and exploring, you'll get your, you'll get an Estus charge back and it, definitely incentivizes you to engage more um, instead of just running past because if there was no way to replenish your um your crimson tears your estus <laughs> if there is no mm -hmm. way to replenish that your blood vials yeah your blood vials uh you would maybe you would just be like more likely to just be like no i'm just gonna ride past right. everything oh there's a tower over there but i only have you know one healing charge left not worth it um, you still might make that decision, but I think you're less likely to make that decision. You're more likely to go and check out that tower. There's some dudes there, but if you kill them, you'll get your healing charge back. So no big deal. Um, and I think they really nailed that risk reward while maintaining the tension that the old games always had. Elden Ring still keeps that. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it, like all of the sort of small enemies, I think, you know, like you said, they they're the ones that will replenish your Estus. And then I think they did a good job, too, of like whenever you encounter like a boss or a, a bigger enemy, they usually had even just some of the more difficult areas. They usually had like, a, hey, like we're going to have a, sh a statue of America. Is that what it is? Um, yeah. Stake. Stake of America yep. where you can come back like it's not like a get out of jail free card it's not like your souls are sitting right there but it prevents you from have like if it's been a while since you've rested at a bonfire because or a grace because you've been kind of just wandering around killing things and replenishing your estus and you've never needed to head back it's like hey you still have to fight back through but you don't have to trek halfway across lingrave to you know get your stuff back anymore you know that immediately cut away any feeling because this happens to me in uh, Souls games or in in Bloodborne, where like you make it through a level 
but maybe you only have two Estus left and you're like, I could go fight the boss, but I'm for sure going to die. I could go, I could just go back and heal and then come back, run past all the enemies and come straight back here. And that's not as fun. But in Elden Ring, because you have those Marika stakes, you're just like, fuck it, I'll go fight the boss. And if I die, I'll respawn pretty close to the boss arena. It'll be really fast to get back here. There's no more boss runs. So you are just continually like they've taken away a lot of the barriers to just keep exploring. And then sometimes you would be really far from your grace point and you see America stake and you're like, oh, well, OK, I'm I'm cool. I have a, you know, a little safety net here. If I die, I'll come back here instead of all the way back at the last place I rested. Well, I think it does a good job, too, of just kind of being another one of those subtle hints that from like FromSoft is really good about giving you the information and letting you decide what you want to do with it. And so every time you see one of those America stakes, it's like, there's probably something big if I continue this way. Uh Do I want to do this right now? (laughs) Maybe not. I can, you know, same thing with the little like monolith things where you could summon. It's like every time in the open world anyway, that you got to a place you could summon your, your spirits. It's like, oh, there's probably something big over here. Uh, so, Mm -hmm. and you know, like you said, sometimes that's the like freeing thing to be like, oh, I'm just going to charge in here because like, what do I have to lose at other times? It's like, this isn't really what I'm wanting right now. And I'm going to choose to go somewhere else. Thank you from soft for letting me know that this was coming up (laughs) and not being like big flashing, like, Hey, you're about to fight a boss. Are you ready? It's like, no, it's just kind (laughs) of like a. And that's not to say bosses can't still just like swoop in and surprise you because plenty did. But it's another one of those like if I went back and looked, I would probably ignored like America steak or something on the way and just was like, oh, I missed it. I would have known. So, yeah, let's um, let's kind of wrap up this section on Elden Ring and its open world uh, with uh, Nave from the Gaming Together podcast, who has summarized, I think, everything that. Elden Ring does really well. So Nave says, uh, Elden Ring has a meaningful incentive for exploration, a sense of discovery, the impression of wonder, um, efficient means of travel. Uh, and this one I want to camp out on for just a second, a vague objective. So because in Elden Ring, they tell you, uh, you need to go to the Erd Tree and become the Elden Lord. Right. They tell you that at the beginning, but I don't know what the hell that means no. at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the game. So it's not super important to me when I get out into the open world. I don't feel bad about ignoring that because number one, I only half know what that means. And yeah. number two, it doesn't seem like the most important thing. It's not like, you know, uh the world is ending in, you know, a couple days, like in um, I don't know, Mass Effect or something like that. It's it's not like that. It's yeah. it's more like a um yeah, this is your objective. Yeah, like someday become the Elden Lord. Doesn't matter if it's today or not. So just kinda, you know, have fun, but do that when you have time to become the Elden Lord. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think uh, I think that's a really good point that Nave has made here. Yeah, no, it reminds me of like Skyrim where it's like five minutes ago i was a prisoner about to be executed and then a big dragon attacked and apparently i'm the dragonborn and it's like hey you're the dragonborn should probably go like talk to somebody about that 
but then they just kind of like set you on your way and <laughs> yeah. it's like you just kind of wander out or you know breath of the wild where it's like hey you should you know zelda's probably over there waiting for you she's been waiting for a while but uh you know a <laughs> hundred years yeah <laughs> yeah like go do your thing link what's uh, another yeah. six months <laughs> well breath of the wilds kind of uniquely like they've set that up in the story too where like the purpose of you exploring is to get stronger so you can beat ganon that's the only reason you're out exploring so mm-hmm. your objective is to beat ganon but they do yeah. tell you like hey go out and do stuff so that you can power up you'll be ready for it and yeah yeah uh, Nave continues, uh, more good things about Elden Ring, uh, the freedom to wander away from the objective. Again, because it's vague, it doesn't seem like it's it's not the end of the world. If you don't become the Elden Lord, this world's already fucked, like, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Freedom to wander away, variety in activities, satisfying rewards to collect. Um, we talked about that in the uh, the regular episode, but the rewards you find for exploring, you know, finding golden seeds, finding, um, oh, what are the things you find in the, um, in the churches that give you more, uh, the sacred tears, Tears, sacred tears. Yeah. They give you more healing, finding new weapons, finding new ashes, finding NPCs. These are all good rewards. Um, and in Elden Ring, all those rewards give you a little bit of story too. So if you're into that, it's double rewards. So good rewards from software has always been really good about giving you good rewards most of the time, except for chalice materials and bloodborne. Those kind of suck, <laughs> but yeah. Nave continues unique environments to uncover. Just like Jim said, you will find some really cool places. Uh, and when you get into those places, you're like, I wonder what's going on here. Yeah. And Nave concludes by saying, this has been my Ted talk. Thank you, Nave. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I think that summarizes pretty much like I I really can't think of many things that the open world in in Elden Ring is lacking. Like it hits all the notes for what I want in an open world for sure. Yeah. Um there are some sections of it that I don't love, but like if you don't like it, just get on your horse, run past everything, go beat the boss, beeline to the 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 mines or structures you want to check out don't spend a bunch of time just wandering around that's fine uh this game is built for you to play like that yeah so i mean and that's again even even the parts i don't like just follow what the game's telling you to do go do something else and Mm -hmm. uh or just run straight through it get done with it as quickly as you can To kind of get into our last section here, I feel like Elden Ring is going to be another kind of reset button game where Breath of the Wild, I think, was to some extent too, where it's such a huge success and video games are a business. 
people like I, I recently just saw the news as we're recording a couple days ago that Elden Ring outsold the latest Call of Duty game. Yeah. Which is an insane thing to think about for a from software game oh, for yeah. all the reputation it has for being so difficult and impossible and stuff like that, to have it be selling so many copies, people are gonna take notice of this. Even oh, yeah. the companies that are not going to do this out of the desire to make the most enriching game world for the sake of making a great game world people are going to be like well this game sold tens of millions of copies what did it do that we can do you know yeah. so we can sell tens of millions of copies so these are things that i want to see in some open worlds going forward and so that's the last kind of section i want to bring up like yeah has this given you guys ideas about how you would judge the next open world game or an open world game that comes out in a couple of years yeah i mean i i think uh, i don't just want to read the points that you've put in here but i i, I think <laughs> like i think you hit the nail on the head with with them you know uh, of just if your game is going to be open world like respect your players trust them give them information and let them decide what they want to do with it don't hold their hand don't feel like you've got to mark everything. Don't be so worried that like, well, what if, you know, this M-rated game, like what if, uh, you know, this eight-year-old is playing it and can't figure out what to do next? Like, don't don't worry. <laughs> uh, you know, it's okay. Um, a lot of people have that in intrinsic desire to explore and see what's around and to like, and if you craft your world intentionally, then you can make it interesting even if you don't put, you know, a, a brand new weapon or something like at the end, you know, like mm -hmm. you can you can make it look interesting and valuable and you don't have to like something that I think Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring do and God of War and, you know, a lot of these ones that are held up, they're very minimalist, you know, like they don't throw a lot of shit on the screen you know it's mm -hmm. not like there's like boom 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 like here we go you know like elden ring for the most part it just has like a few little things on the screen at any given time and breath of the wild's the same way and so i think it's one of those things where it's just like understand that we don't need so 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 much if you're going to make mm -hmm. a big open world, we would rather quality versus quantity. And that's not to say make a big open world and cut out a bunch because you don't have the quality there, but your world should be as big as the quality that you have. Um, I guess is, is how I kind of look at it. If you can't make a hundred quality quests, don't make an open world so big that it needs a hundred quality quests to feel realized you know mm -hmm. um, if you can only make 25 quality quests and you want to make an open world game maybe make a smaller open world game <laughs> yeah that and that's a lesson i think a lot of developers have taken like some famous ones notwithstanding there are a lot of small open world games that are being recognized for it like deus ex even though no one buys Deus Ex games. Um, uh, Yakuza is is an example I'll use. Those open worlds are very small, yeah. but they're 
They're packed with stuff. You will never be bored uh, playing a Yakuza game. And you you, nope. <laughs> you, nef- you definitely would never get the feeling playing a Yakuza game that like this open world is really small. I wish this, this was just a linear game. I would never think that about Yakuza. I want to be able to put off the main quest and go to the batting cages whenever I want to yep. and stuff like that. That's what those games are all about uh, to me. Um, something that I just thought of that I would like for developers to remember, um, if they have the means to do this, is to have lots of optional content and don't stress that people might not see it. There is, I talked about in the main episode, one of my favorite parts in Elden Ring is after you beat Radon, who is optional, you don't have to fight Radon in the first place. Uh, that opens up a bunch of levels that are very missable if you're not yeah. looking for them. And that's like 20 hours of content, like at least five levels, a ton of boss fights. Yeah. And it's all totally missable, completely optional from the beginning because you don't even have to fight Radon. And From Software is very clearly just like, yeah, a bunch of people aren't going to see this. But the people who do, they're going to love it uh, because they recognize that this is all optional stuff. And I think that if if a, a game developer has the means, the money, the time to make all this optional stuff, um, it makes it feel a little bit more special. Um, and I definitely respect them for not caring if people miss it. Uh, because I think, Dylan, you said like, there are just so many games where, you know, they want you to see everything. So they want to take you everywhere lead you by the hand and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's something that's very cool about FromSoft. Again, though, I don't want to say like every open world game needs this because that's a lot of time and effort you're putting into making this stuff. And then if only a small percentage of people see it, then, uh, does it have to be there? It no, this is not mandatory, but it is cool. Plus there's also like just the vibe like sometimes you just want to sit down and play a game that gives you a checklist to go through and like you just kind of want to zone out and vibe with yeah. that. And so it's cool to yeah. have a variety of experiences even if they're all technically open world. Right. Yeah. Well, and and something that I think all open world games could take away uh, because like you said, Andrew, I think there is still a space for like the non-serious, the non-like as like maybe not as immersive. Maybe it is just like I'm trying to like it's a video game tower. ass video. game. Yeah, it's yeah. a video game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but something I do think that every video game, regardless of whether it's trying to be the next Elden Ring or it's trying to be the next Far Cry can take away is putting thought into how players experience your world, you know, um, we talk about uh like if you if you look into how they designed the first level of Mario, they like very clearly designed it in a way where you had to like you learned how to play the game through doing it, and you were taught these mechanics and guided in a very intentional way by the things that they put in that level and I think you see that a lot in Fromsoft as well, where it's like you're exploring around and they very subtly guide you in a lot of different directions. 
And so I think every game can take away, like, how is the player going to experience this? If they can't find this content without me putting a big flashing neon light saying, go this way, or like a, a quest marker there to like lead them, then maybe we need to rethink the path to this content. Because if we mm-hmm. can put it, if we can, you know, create it in such a way that they can find it on their own, that's always going to be better than having to force somebody to like you know even if it's just a collect-a-thon you know if you create it in such a way where the player naturally stumbles upon like 75 percent of your things that's probably so much better than just having a map where they like pinpoint things and just follow the like mini map where it just guides them you know yeah, and that that goes back into just trusting the player, trusting us to like be able to make that decision. Be able to like, you know, if I'm playing the game and I'm using my eyes, I'm going to see the bandit camp over there or I'm going to see the castle or the ruins over there. And you can trust me that if you if the game is fun and if the world is interesting, I will go check those things out. Mhm it's when things feel the same that I'm just like, Oh, another bandit camp. I'm not going there. I know exactly what that is. Cause the last five I've done have been exactly the same thing. This is like kind of me picking on Assassin's Creed again. Like I don't, <laughs> I think it's kind of disrespectful to say that those things are copy and paste. Cause I, people do obviously work on those and mm-hmm. design them, but they don't feel unique from one another. Uh, unless they take place in a really interesting place. I only remember one bandit camp from Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and it's because it was on the side of a mountain, and you could like fall to your death off the side. <laughs> and I remember that. But I don't remember any of the others specifically, because they're all they all felt exactly the same. And so it's something that like I hope people takes take this from uh Elden Ring, because Elden Ring does have an equivalent of camps to clear out and they have a treasure in the middle of them and stuff like that. But there's usually a gimmick to them. There's a, you know, maybe this one looks similar, but one of the pumpkin head guys is going to jump out and start smashing around when you get inside of it. Or, oh, this, uh, you know, another bandit camp. I know exactly what this is. I walk in and, oh no, a boss just popped out of the ground. And so these things end up being a lot more memorable and entices me to the next time I see a bandit camp, I'm going to go check it out. Cause I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, and that's something that I hope that kind of sense of purposely designing it, like Phil said earlier, that's like the main thing I really hope people take other than that, like intrinsic motivation to go explore. And then once I've made the decision to go explore, give me cool treasure, give me treats, give <laughs> me that stuff, but like make it feel like it was my decision to go check out these ruins. And then once I do go check out the ruins, give me treasure, give me something good for doing it. That's like the secret sauce that made me never get tired of playing Elden Ring. By the time I was like, I'm kind of ready for this game to be over. It was pretty much over. Uh, and I played 95 hours my first playthrough, whereas I played 30 hours of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And one day I put the game down, you know, for the night, 
And then I just never picked it back up again. Cause I was like, nothing, there's nothing new is going to come at me here other than story stuff. But you know, that game gates you off from story progress if you, if you're not at the right level. So anyway, that is my big thing. Uh, what I want games to take. Andrew, what do you think, man? No, I'm right there with you. I think that I agree with what you just said, Dave, and I think that kind of what Dylan was getting at and what I was thinking is just that quality over quantity, you know? If you make scale the game to the quality that you have, and I think that the open world should be something that adds to the experience and doesn't take away from it, and, uh, you know, don't just make a big open world to say you have a big open world if it's going to be empty. You know, we've we touched on some game series earlier, but like I would rather have a smaller, dense world than a big open world that is empty and has nothing really to offer. Um, and like we talked like we touched on earlier, I think Elden Ring did a good job of balancing both. It has a big world that feels dense. And I think that that is one of the reasons why Elden Ring is so unique and so special is because that's extremely hard to pull off and doesn't happen very often. And so I think they they kind of they struck gold with this one. But I think that, you know, any other developers that want to make an open world game is like decide what you're trying to achieve with it, <laughs> you know, like and and make it fit that that goal. Don't just don't just make a big world and then try to put a game inside of it. You know, make sure that the 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 idea you have for the game and the idea you have for the world work together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cuz everything everything in Elden Ring feels like it's supposed to be in that world. Like yeah. versus, you know, Band generic bandit camp number 12 where it's just like i mean i guess bandits probably existed a lot in ancient greece but <laughs> you know like yeah. did we need another you know is there anything special so same yeah, in yeah. same i mean again not to pick on ubisoft <laughs> i got tired of mongol camps and ghost of tsushima and i love that game yep it's just a and it makes sense, again, the Mongols are invading Japan in that game. It makes sense they have military camps set up around the island. It, it makes sense. But are they all fun to do? Did I get tired of them? I fucking got tired of them at some <laughs> point. So in a way that I never really got tired of the open world offerings in Elden Ring, even though Elden Ring is three times as long as Ghosts of Tsushima. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Cool. This has been a a good chat and um, before we say goodbye, a little housekeeping uh, here. So I want to give you guys a chance uh, before I talk about myself to uh, plug uh, your friendly neighborhood gamers and where everyone can find it. The easiest place to find us is our website, which is fngamers.com. Uh, that is F-N-Gamers. Um, and that has <laughs> like links to everything it has social media it has youtube channel has the twitch channel has the podcast all that but the podcast is on all of the the podcast feeds out there if if it's not on one you can let us know and i'll get us on there the youtube stuff is obviously on youtube twitch is um neighborhood underscore gamers and then we are on twitter tiktok instagram and that's all some variation of neighborhood gamers and it's all the same branding, same logo, same everything. And I'm sure, you know, Dave will have all the links. I'll have sent all of the links to him, uh, to, yep. to post under this episode. So it should all be there I easy will. to, to access, but yeah, we would 
Definitely appreciate you uh, checking us out if you enjoyed this conversation, if you enjoy gaming, FromSoft especially, because we talk about that a lot, but you know, just yeah. video games in general. And if you're listening to this independent video game podcast, then you're probably an average gamer. So that's who we're trying to reach and who we want to represent. So come check us out. Uh, I, I definitely will have links down in the show notes for uh, everything Friendly Neighborhood Gamers. Um, I have uh, visited the neighborhood a couple times now, so if you want a safe place to start, go find uh, an episode with me in it. Or if you're sick of me, they have lots of other really awesome <laughs> guests uh, on the episodes too. So definitely recommend that podcast, that YouTube channel. Uh, hang out in the Twitch streams if, you, uh, if you're into watching stuff on Twitch. Definitely recommended. As far as uh, I am concerned, um, the best uh, thing to do, the thing I, I would like people to do these days is to, as always, you know, leave a rating and review if you've enjoyed the episode, hit subscribe if you haven't already, but uh, the Discord server for Tales from the Backlog and a Top 3 podcast is up and running. We're having a good time. We have a great group of people. If you're a big Elden Ring fan, we have a special channel for Elden Ring stuff. And we have lots of other channels, uh, gaming and non-gaming related too. I just mentioned, but I have another podcast called a top three podcast where each episode, uh, my friends and I pick a topic. We do our top three lists. Oftentimes they are not gaming related. So if you want to hear me talk about things that are not games, that is the place to do it. Next week on Tales from the Backlog, stay tuned for a discussion about Elden Ring as somebody's first From Software game. Because Miyazaki had that quote before Elden Ring came out about how Elden Ring would be the most accessible uh, From Software game, and Miyazaki thought that more people would end up beating Elden Ring than the older games. And in my anecdotal experience, and I think from trophy data also, that is true. That was the case. So I will have two guests on with varying degrees of From Software experience. And we're going to talk about uh, what it was like for them as someone who's not like me and Andrew and Dylan, <laughs> huge FromSoft fans that play all the games. So yeah. stay tuned for that next week. Elden Ring for the FromSoft newbie. Thank you so much for listening. See you later. <laughs>